Welcome to another message from Evangel Church. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information on Evangel Church, visit us at evangelchurch.cc. All right, thanks guys so much for uh, the honor of recognizing my 50th. It's uh, quite a sobering moment, I got to tell you. This one's affecting me more than any birthday so far. Um, I think it's because for so long I was always known as the young pastor, and uh, you, you, don't, you don't hear young and 50 anymore. You hear a young looking 50, but you don't hear young 50, because once you hit 50, you, you hit half a century. That's a long time to live. So I appreciate the gifts and the, um, the name tag. I'll use that. I uh, appreciate that. And I love Ron's faith about the Steelers. By the way, we Steelers fans have nothing against Bears fans because the Bears and the Steelers kind of made from the same material, you know, uh, that old-fashioned football thing, you know. So Ron leans over to me and he says, by the way, save the cardboard on that Steelers thing that has the Super Bowl so that when they win the next one, they can stitch it on for you for free. And I said, now that's faith right there. I love that. <laughs> you know, not even really a true Steelers fan, but believing we're going to win the next one, that's awesome. Um, so, so I was having this thought as I was watching you guys saw the, uh, the wood, and, and the, it was great illustration, really. You know, I, th- I forget who said that. This is probably a good sermon illustration, but it kind of was a good sermon illustration because there's a verse of Scripture that I was reminded of as I was watching this happen, and it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10, here's what it says. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but with skill... And wisdom, there is success. Isn't that a great, great picture? So we saw that right there. You saw, in one sense, the, 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 the saw was not the right tool and a little duller than the other one. And there was a lot of energy. It took probably four times as long to cut the same amount of material as when there was a sharpened edge. So the, the key principle is, if you want to live a life that has some momentum, you got to stop to sharpen the saw. And you've got to be able to add skill and wisdom to your life. So why are you here on a Saturday morning at a fight conference, you know, for men here at Evangel? What's this all about? Well, this is a sharpen the saw moment. It might feel like, well, you know, I could have been sleeping in today or I could have been doing my, my yard work or there's other things I have going on. Well, what you're doing is you're actually taking some time out of your life to sharpen your life a little bit more with some wisdom and skill so that when you go back into your week, there's less effort spiritually necessary to do the same amount of work because you've taken in the time to train your life a little bit more. So this is a good investment. This is not a waste of time. This is good investment because you are sharpening the saw by what you're doing as we study the Word together and as we're with one another. There's another great principle that we're practicing here, and that's this. And this is good not just for this meeting here, but it's also good for the evangel men vision. You know, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one brother sharpens another. So part of the way that we become sharper in our life It's not just by adding wisdom and skill, but it's by being with one another because as we're with each other and we are encouraging each other, we grow sharper in our life. So this is a beautiful thing that's happening, and I just want to commend you uh, for for taking the step to be here today. And I'll add add a little bit of of my own life experience to that principle. This is not what I'm going to teach on today, but I just want to amplify this principle because it was such a great visual for us. So on my bucket list um, before turning 50 was a goal that I written down a couple of years ago to run a half marathon. 
Um, I, I have that desire to run 13.1 miles, and, and uh, I would train on occasion for it, but I really didn't know quite what I was doing. And uh, I was always, you know, three steps forward, four steps back, you know, and I would, I would do well for a little while, and then I would, I, would, I would not do so well. About last August, I was as out of shape and as heavy as I have been in my entire life. And I was feeling the effect of that. I was sluggish. I went to preach for a friend of mine down in Orlando, Florida, and as I was speaking, I was out of breath, and afterward he said, you know, I was about your age when I had my heart attack, you really ought to get yourself in shape, and you know, I appreciate the word from a friend, I needed to hear that, so I went back and I started, you know, the same pattern I had done before, I exercised a couple days and then stopped, and then ate healthy for a couple days and stopped, and then God provided me with a gift, Um, there's a guy that attends my church that actually um, has run in the Ironman triathlon. He actually qualified to go to Hawaii, which is like the Super Bowl of triathlons. So triathlons, you know, they swim two miles and then they run, uh, they bike, what, 120 or something like that, and then they run 26. So he said, you know, Pastor, I can, I can tell you need some encouragement. Would you like me to coach you? So uh, he offered to train us to get from the couch to half marathon, and for 29 weeks, every week, he sent us a training routine, and we practiced and followed that routine until May 4th. My wife and I together, we ran the Pittsburgh half marathon and completed that before my 50th birthday, and I, I honestly could have never anticipated going that far when I first started because I was so out of shape, but here's the principle that I'll give you, and that's this. Going places in your life, whether it's in your physical body and its improvement, or your financial life, or your relational life, or your spiritual life. Large changes don't happen by trying harder. They happen by training better. So if I had said back in August of last year, I'm going to go out and run the half marathon, I'm determined to do it, and I just decided to go run 13 miles, I would have died. There's just no way I could have made it. Effort alone wouldn't have carried me in my condition to a place where I could complete that length of distance. But when I trained better for 29 weeks and I was consistent with it, I was able to go places and and exist for distances that I couldn't have ever imagined because life improves not by trying harder, but by training better. Remember we said, when the axe is dull, more effort's needed, but when you add wisdom and success, it's amazing how much you can get done. So, so really, when we think about the development of our spiritual life, and we think, about, we think about fighting better, or winning victory in our lives, or winning victory for our family, you can't just think about, I'm going to leave this conference, and I'm going to go for it, and I'm going to really, you know, I'm going to really amp, amp up, and I'm going to go, I'm going to try, I'm going to pray longer, I'm going to fast more, I'm, I'm going to, you know, emotion will only carry you so far. You have to actually have a routine, and a, and a regimen, and a, and a plan to get where you want to go. So as you train yourself to be godly, you end up preparing yourself for the greater victory that's yet, yet to come. And part of the training regimen is, I think you guys, you're starting some small groups, right? With, with this fight curriculum that, that, that you find from Craig Rochelle. I read a quote from that book. Being in small group with guys that are a little older or more mature than you, that can help you learn what it is to follow Jesus, is such a huge part of the training process. Having the coach, the triathlon coach in my life to speak into my life on a regular basis was a huge thing, you know? And if you have been 
you know, uh, down the road a little bit, and you can speak into the life of somebody else, it will add a freshness to your own experience when you start to get involved in training others. So I just want to encourage you, don't let your uh, participation with this be only the events alone. Plug into relationships because it's there that real growth is going to happen. And I know there'll be more details to follow about that, but I just wanted to give you uh, those thoughts. It's, it's about the training, right? It's not just about trying. It's about training, all right? So... So just turn to your neighbor and say, you make me sharper. Just kind of tell them that if you would. Yeah, iron sharpens iron, right? So we're sharper when we're with each other. Yeah. All right. Yeah, good. That was a good grunt moment, right? Or hoo-ah, or whatever we're going to say there. So, um, all right. So let's turn in, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. And we're going we're gonna to continue on what we talked about last night about overcoming uh, the current of evil and darkness around us. And we're going to study a passage of Scripture found in Acts chapter 19. Now, uh, I think you've had my good friend Johannes Amritzer here uh, in the past. He's a, an evangelist that is from Sweden, and he goes and he does, he does big um, events in, in places where the gospel hasn't been preached, and miracles happen. And Ron and I happened to go with him together to Uganda a couple of years ago, and we went way out into remote, remote village territory, you know, places where they actually had to build a road for us to get out to where we were staying, and uh, we were preparing, Ron and I, for that experience, you know, because we wanted to go and minister to people there. We wanted to see the power of Jesus revealed there. We wanted to see people who had never heard about Jesus Christ, hear about Jesus Christ, and, and so Ron and I were talking about the most challenging aspect of this trip which was the fact that there were no Western bathrooms where we were going. There were only these uh, outhouse areas with kind of holes in the ground, and that's not our practice. So we, we were thinking of how we're going to handle that, if we're going to be able to make things work out there in the jungle. So we both got this creative idea. I don't know who was responsible. I think I came up with a thought, and then I passed it along to him. So my thought was to get one of those fold-out lawn chairs, you know, we go, you go to a picnic and you have those green chairs you fold out. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, that fold-out thing, and I'm going to cut a hole in the center of that chair so I have something to sit down on when I'm in the outhouse, my little strategy moment, okay? So I, 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 did, I bought mine. I told Ron about it, and he took it to the next level. Ron bought a big old chair with armrests and cup holders, okay? Yeah, so <laughs> he did. And he cut a big old hole in the center of that thing, and he brought it with him. And so there was probably, what, 70 people on this team. So you can see Ron, okay? He's the biggest guy of the whole crew. He grabs his lawn chair, and he starts to walk towards the outhouse area. And everybody says, what do you do? And he said, hey. And he showed, he showed off his homemade <laughs> toilet, okay? So he took it out there, you know. I don't know if he had iced tea or anything to put the, but here he is. He goes into the little hut, you know, sits down over the hole, does his deal, you know, picks it back up and brings it back. Well, no one had thought about this. We, we all slept in this big room, right? As soon as he comes back from the outhouse, they all say, you're not bringing that thing in here. <laughs> no, no, no. So it worked one time, basically, because no one wanted to put their hands on it after that particular moment. <laughs> So, so here we are out of the middle of Uganda, you know, and we're, and we're seeing some amazing things happen. One of the things that we saw take place is uh, while we were out there, we were preaching about the healing power of Jesus Christ, and we were talking to people that needed really confirming signs to believe. You know, and this is what it says about, 
about the message of Jesus Christ. That when it's preached, when Jesus is preached, the signs of healing miracles that occur confirm the message that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Well, people here were hearing this for the first time, and they had very simple faith to believe this. So I was teaching at a pastor seminar. Ron was, was teaching with me in this. And as I was standing in the front, there was a guy who came in the back of the room and he was making a big disturbance. I couldn't tell what he was saying because he was speaking in a, the language of that area, you know. And so I asked my interpreter, what, what's he saying? And he said, well, he's come in and he's blind. And he heard last night that Jesus is healing people and he's come to get a miracle. He wants to receive his sight. And it was just like what you hear about in the New Testament. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be stopped. They tried to quiet him down. He wouldn't be stopped. So I had the choice of trying to shout over him or practice what we were saying. Now, that's kind of put you on the spot a little bit, honestly. So, so now here I said to all the pastors, this man has come to receive his sight. and We're going to pray right now that God will open his eyes. So we gathered around him, brought him to the front, gathered around him, put my hands on him, prayed over him. And I mean, I, I, if I ever I was praying, I was praying right there. Like, oh God, come on now. You got to do something with this man. Because, you know, here this whole area, we're telling them Jesus is a healer. And if nothing occurs, and so I prayed as hard as I could pray. And I opened my eyes. Now, he had cataracts, obviously, on his eyes. Because they, they had a film over both of them. Kind of a white film over both of them. And when I opened my eyes, I, I wanted to see those eyes be completely clear. Uh, but nothing, you know, same as before. So I said, well, let's pray again. <laughs> so I prayed louder and harder, you know, and just asking God to do a miracle. And when I opened my eyes again, nothing. So then I said this, you know, some miracles happen right away and other miracles happen progressively. So you just, as you're going back home, I said, you continue to claim the healing power of Jesus. So he left the room. I went on teaching the pastor's conference. That night we were gathered out in a field where where we were, we were having some time for ministry. And I was sitting up on the platform, and I looked down, and sitting on the very front row was a guy that looked just like this guy we had prayed for. But I could tell that his eyes were clear. Now, I was meeting a lot of people, so I wasn't sure it was him, you know. So I looked right at him. He looked back at me, and I kind of went like this, you know, as if to, and he looked back at me, and he just repeated the motion. And that kind of freaked me out a little bit. So I went like this, and he kind of repeated the motion. And finally, I called an interpreter over, and I said, can we go down and talk to this guy? And we went down and talked to him. And I said, are you the man we prayed for today? He said, yes, I am. I said, what happened to you? He said, well, it's like you said, as I was going home, I was saying, in Jesus' name, may you open my eyes. And he said, gradually, my eyes begin to open, and today I can see. And I came back tonight to give thanks to Jesus because he healed me. Isn't that awesome? Wow. What I'll say to you is the name of Jesus is powerful. Remember we said last night, feel the current, use the name. The name of Jesus is powerful because when we talk about the person of Jesus Christ, we're talking about the one who has risen from the dead. This is not a dead figure who we celebrate a great life philosophy from the past. This is a living person who sits at the right hand of the Father and is active in our world today. So when we talk to him, he speaks back to us. When we pray to him, he responds because he's active in doing things in this world. So when we're talking about fighting and using the name of Jesus to overcome the darkness, we're talking about joining forces in partnership with a person 
who has risen from the dead, okay? Now, in Acts chapter 19, it tells us this in verse 11. Now, this is in the city of Ephesus. Last, week, last night, we studied about the book of Ephesians, okay, written by Paul to the church at Ephesus. This is the history of the church in Ephesus, okay? He wrote that letter to this church, and it says this, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. And then verse 13, some Jews, now notice here, it doesn't say Jewish followers of Christ. It just says those who were Jews who lived in Ephesus went around driving out evil spirits, and they tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Now, here's, here's one of the things the Scripture describes, that not only are demons these twisted fallen angels uh, trying to attack and destroy us and things here on this, in this world, but they also can at times um, inhabit or overtake a person who makes some type of a covenant or commitment to evil forces. And in this case, they were going around in Ephesus and they were, they were trying to pray for people who were demon-possessed to be set free. And they would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So they saw, these Jews saw that the name of Jesus was so powerful that when they, when they used the name of Jesus Christ, these people who were tormented by evil spirits were set free. And it tells us then, the next verse, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. So, so now here, Ron and I will relate to this. These are preacher's sons, seven preacher's sons of a Jewish chief priest named Sceva thought together, we'll go out and try this. Now, I have four boys, okay? I understand how this works. They, they, they probably were bored one day. They decided, you know, let's do something. We saw this meeting Paul had, and these people got set free, and why don't we go try this? And so they decided to go try it and say, okay, you know that crazy guy that's down in the corner? I, we think he's demon-possessed. Let's see if he, let's go try it out on him. I'm not trying that. No, you try it. No, let's get our little brother to try it, right? So they, they got some, one of the seven went up, and, and they came to this guy, and it says that they went up to him in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out, right? They found this crazy guy. This is what they say to him. And it says, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And it tells us then, the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, can you see this? Now, this one guy just kind of powers up and these forces come out in him and, and, and he beats these guys up and, and rips their clothes and, and scratches their faces and these seven preacher sons run away having been devastated by this man tormented by these evil spirits. And the next verse says, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor because they recognized the power of the name of Jesus and the impact of it. And many of those who now believed came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery or witches, witch, witch doctors, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And there was a great revival that happened in the city. All right, let me, let me, let me talk about this verse now. When we were going, the first time I went to Africa with Johannes, I had heard stories about how not only healing miracles were happening, but how people who were demon-possessed were, were being set free. And Johannes told very fascinating stories about people tormented who were crying out, and, and then when the name of Jesus would be used, they'd be set free from these demons, and I was very curious to be able to see this firsthand. 
Because in, in the U.S., you see this a little bit less than what you see in other places in the world. And so I had really never seen the New Testament version of this. You know, there's one story in the New Testament about a man who was so demonized that they had to chain him to rocks, you know, because he was so terrifying. So, so I, I was thinking about all that, you know, and about seeing this. And then all of a sudden, one day, just before I went for the first time to Africa to, to, to be a part of one of these, I was thinking about, what, what, what will I do when I meet a demon-possessed person? You know, what, what will that be like? And I was imagining being in the streets and meeting someone who was terrifying like this and walking up to them. And then all of a sudden, I remembered this story. And I thought, what if this happens to me? What if I find a demon-possessed person? I go up and I say, in the name of Jesus, come out. And the demon says to me, Johannes, I know. And Jesus, I know. But who are you? And jumps on me and beats me to a pulp. I said, this, I thought to myself, this would not be good for my reputation as a pastor if I end up, you know, unsuccessful in dealing with this kind of resistance. And, you know, honestly, so for a little while before I went on this trip, I was filled with, with fear over this particular issue because I thought, well, who am I? You know, who am I? Am I any better than these guys? Well, why should I think that if I use the name of Jesus to overcome the darkness, that they're going to listen to me? And, and, I, and I told you, it's sort of a dangerous thing to do last night because I said to you, when you feel the current, use the name. Well, this is what the seven boys did here, and they used the name and got beat up for it. So, so how do we use the name? This is the question. And why should we think that when we feel the current of evil against us, that we're going to be able to overcome when they couldn't? And here's, here's what I believe. As I meditated on this verse, here's what I believe. The reason why these seven sons of Sceva didn't have success in spiritual battle is because they didn't know the answer to the question they were asked. What were they asked? The demon said, yeah, the demon said, I know Paul and I know Jesus, but who are you? And they didn't know the answer to that. And because they didn't know the answer to that, the demon had no reason to leave. We say, well, what's the right answer? Well, the right answer is this. You see, these boys weren't in relationship with Christ, but when you are, here's what the right answer is. The right answer is to say, well, let me tell you who I am. I'm a child of God. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has washed away my sins from the past. He has raised from the dead, and he has conquered you, and he lives by the Holy Spirit in me, and therefore I have every right to use the authority of his name, so in Jesus' name you come out. So they didn't know the answer to the question. And when you know who you are in Christ, you never have to fear the darkness because you have been given every right to overcome. And that's really good news. So I don't know if you can you put the verses up or the main point up on the screen if maybe, yeah, okay, here's, here's the thought I want to give you. I'll, I'll say this, confidence in spiritual battle comes from knowing who I am in relationship to Jesus Christ. So if you want to use the name and you want to have victory, you've got to know who you are, okay? So let's now quickly go through Three aspects of who we are. The first thing is we got to know our identity. We got to know who we belong to, right? We got to know. We got to know that uh, that we we truly have relationship with God. Now, I, I, there is there is a difference between going to church all the time and being in relationship with Jesus. 
I, I got a good friend of mine. His, his name's John. John and I went to elementary school together, and he moved into the area where I pastor, and he started bringing his family to church. And I just recently heard John tell his story. He said, you know, I was doing all the right things. I was bringing my family to church, and when they would say, lift your hands, I would lift my hands in worship. And when they would ask for volunteers for something, I would volunteer and I started to get involved in some, some of the small groups. He said, I was really active in my life at Allison Park Church. He said, the problem is I'd made a lot of good decisions to do all the right things for God, but I'd never made the main decision. So I was going to church every week, but I'd never surrendered my life to Christ. And he said, I had a secret in my life and that I was an alcoholic. And no one at church knew that I was dealing with an alcohol problem. And I would come, I'd lift my hands in worship, I'd serve, I'd do all the things that I was supposed to do, but it wasn't working for me until finally, he said, my alcoholism became such a problem that it wasn't a secret anymore. He blew up his finances, lost his business, ended up having to go through, we have with our, some of our church plants, recovery homes. He had to get into one of those recovery homes. He had a business actually that had 80 employees. I mean, this was a guy that had a powerful, powerful life. Now he's going through this recovery home, and he said about two months into the recovery process, the, the, the process I was in, he said, I reached the place where I hit bottom. When I hit bottom, I said, Jesus, I want to surrender my life completely to you. And he said, from that moment on, something changed in me. For, for that moment, I was no longer doing the right things for God. It was letting God do the right things in me. And, and uh, the Holy Spirit entered my life, and I've been changed. He said, my circumstances are still a mess. I'm still working my way through, trying to repair my relationship with my wife and pay, pay the bills and all the things that have to be. But there's something about my spirit that's at peace because I know who I am in Christ now. And that, that's a beautiful thing. You know, I, 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 I was thinking how many other people might be attending churches, doing all the right things, showing up at the right places, but have never really made the decision to say, okay, Jesus, everything that I am, I surrender to you. It's a powerful thing. That has to happen. When you get there, when you get there, something really changes in your, in your life completely. Okay, number two, second thing we got to understand is our authority. First is our identity. Second is our authority. That we have every right to overcome the darkness. Now, this is a principle I love. You know, last night I said when you feel the current, use the name. And the name of Jesus is not just a, a, a signification of relationship with him. But it also has to do with an authority that we have. And, and this is the idea that Jesus Christ came into the world as one of us. He became a human being, God in the flesh. He died on the cross as one of us. He rose from the dead as one of us so that one day when we die, just like he as a human being lives forever, we too know we can live forever, okay? He then was, was seated at the right hand of the Father as one of us, as a human being. And everything on planet earth is now under his feet, so to speak. And he gives us the right as human beings to take back the place of rulership here on planet earth that we were originally designed to have. So the demons of hell submit to us because we're in relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been given authority. Uh, you know, ways to illustrate authority. Just simple thing. You know, when I, was, when I graduated from fifth grade, I remember the last day of fifth grade waiting for some really important news. See, I, I was a walker. You know, I didn't ride the bus. I lived close enough that I had to walk. Any walkers in the house? Anybody else walk? Okay, some of you walkers, yeah. And so they picked one of the sixth grade boys out of the walkers to be the patrol 
I don't know if you have such things in Chicago, but here's what they do in Pittsburgh. There was a, a, a student designated to help the traffic lady, and he was called the patrol. And the patrol got a sash and a badge. And they got out of school a little early, go down to the corner, stand next to the traffic lady, and to help the traffic lady get the kids across the street. So I was given this badge, and I was pumped, man. I never realized how much I wanted to be in charge until I became a patrol. So I, I was the first day, you know, I had my patrol sash and badge in the locker and it came towards the end of the school day and I knew it was my time. I put that thing on. I went down to the corner. I was standing. I was a little nervous, you know, and the kids got let out and the walkers came down the street and the traffic lady said, make them stop. And here's what I was waiting for right here. So I was standing on the side, had my badge and the kids come down and I went like this. Stop. And all of those kids had to listen to me right there. I held out my hand. They stopped. Then it was time for them to go. I'd wave them all through. And I did this use of authority. You stop. Now you go. You know, the whole time, all year long, I was the patrol. And all of those students had to listen to me when I was next to this lady giving me instructions. All right. Now, now what's this all about? I know silly illustration, but here's the thought. When you came to Jesus, you got a sash and a, sash and a batch. You stand next to him. And when there is an attack that comes against your family, you go like this, in the name of Jesus, you back off. My kids are off limits to you. You just tell the darkness, to the devil and all the demons, I belong to Jesus, I have authority, you're not coming in this house. Because here, this territory is owned by Christ. And this is not the place you belong. So in Jesus' name, you back off. And there is authority, there is right that you have to use the name of Jesus because you are in relationship with the one who has conquered all. Amen? That's beautiful. Yeah, I love that. Using that as a key, a key component to parenting. Well, last thing then, before we close, is this has to do with my destiny. And here's a thought I want to give you, just kind of a theological idea. <clears throat> you know, learning how to overcome, learning how to walk in your authority in Christ, knowing who you are. It's not just about winning victory for today. It's actually for training for victory for eternity. Just, just, just think about this now. You're an eternal being. You're not, you're not a, an earthly being that's just here for this life. You actually are going to live forever and ever and ever according to what the Scripture teaches. And in your life that is eternal, when you, when you pass from this life into the next, one of the jobs of believers in heaven is that we will actually rule the angels. So we have authority in, in heaven. It's not just that we're going to sit on a cloud with a harp and be bored. No, there, there'll be activity. There'll be work. There'll be meaningful purpose. There'll be discovery. There'll be, there'll be this creative God. It's not like he's going to then just go to sleep for, forever and ever. No, he'll be continuing to do things, and we'll be joining him in that. So everything you go through now is training to reign forever. You're being prepared for rulership. And this is not just about getting through this particular moment, this particular problem. It's about you learning how to rule. So being able to rule with victory in your marriage is really important. Or rule your home or rule your business. Not with an iron fist and you follow me because I'm the... No, no, I'm talking about letting Jesus be the leader. Letting him rule over everything. This is what the scripture says. Final verse I'll give you now. It tells us this. Here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, meaning that if we died to our old life, when we trusted Jesus Christ, we will also live with him, the promise of eternal life. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And the Greek word for endure means to come under pressure or when the current hits us, if we endure and stand up under it, 
then we will also reign with him, not just in this life, but in the next. And this, my friend, is your destiny. You were never designed to be under it. You were always designed to be over it. You were never designed to be beaten down by it. You were always designed to have victory through it. And this is who you are in Christ. And you need to know who you are if you're going to live out the victory that God's designed for you. This concludes the teaching. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened. For more information on Evangel Church, visit us at evangelchurch.cc.